This is the future is yesterday. I'm T. Aaron Cisco. I'm a sci-fi and Afrofuturism author. Never got the hang of audiobooks or how to format them. Whatever. I mean, I kind of under- I understand what they are and how to use them. I just don't know how to make them. So instead, I have decided to do this podcast where I read from my works. Uh, and with this episode, I'll be continuing on reading from my first book, Teleportality. In the last few episodes, we met Billy and Dr. Harvey. Kind of learn a little bit about the situation. It's an undisclosed time period somewhere in the far, far future. But in essence, Dr. Harvey has created this technology called neurogenesis, which allows the human body to be repaired, brought back from all manner of maladies and incidents and all that kind of stuff. And in essence, he's cured death. And so as a response, the singular government, which controls Earth, the moon, Mars, and Mars' moons, has outlawed death. And they're somewhat tyrannical. So in response, uh, Dr. Harvey created, or rather resurrected, and enhanced a person known only as Billy. And Billy has a deal with him to help him get revenge on the association who may or may not have been responsible for the death of Harvey's wife. Billy was on a drop run and was captured by the association and it was en route to a sort of a prison planet called Estrella Basura along with another captive named Ragdoll, but was disrupted by the same mysterious figure who had uh, wound up getting Billy captured in the first place, and they crashed the transport ship and have awoken uh, many, many years in the past and have running towards the sound of a large explosion. And now we get to meet another character in this chapter, Sochi Whitewood. So this is chapter seven, Teleportality, Sochi Whitewood. Sochi Whitewood feared the daylight. The patrols often began earlier these days. Often they were out sweeping the streets before she could return to her safe haven. If she'd been more perceptive, she might have been able to adjust her timescale to compensate for the variance in hours, but with the weather patterns being controlled thousands of miles away in the Association Office of Climate Oversight and no man-made obligations to provide context via routine, she simply used the color of the sky. To say this put her at a severe disadvantage would be much more than an understatement. She paced aimlessly about with an unlit cigar hanging loosely from her perfectly shaped lips. When the cursed sunlight began the nocturnal sequence and discolored the pure endless blue-black canopy above, she would inspect the windows of the long abandoned structures that lined the desolate streets. She was searching for any signs of movement between the gaps in the rotting planks that hung lifelessly stubbornly nailed to the equally rotting panes. Her mind would often wander as she scurried about searching for provisions. The distractions of her fractured, traumatized psyche would, on many occasions, prove near fatal. There were more than a few instances in which she'd been spotted engrossingly lost in thoughts long devoid of any context. To be a recycler was to accept a life of unending pursuit. But in the six years since she'd abandoned her association status, her allegiance to the recycle movement hadn't led her to a violent demise just quite yet. Even on those rare occasions when she was deep in a safe haven, hundreds of feet below the surface and far outside the range of the enforcement scanners, she knew it was merely the grip of dumb luck skeletal hands that had saved her from the dire consequences of her daily actions. Arriving at a dilapidated home squatting in the middle of what was once a vibrant lifer suburb, she checked the deck of a dust-covered fishing boat left to rot forever amongst the decaying vegetation in the backyard. She even checked in the fuel tanks and storage boxes. Although it was rare to find any liquids, let alone valuable liquids, 
left in those discarded vehicles during unseasonable weather, which was a brutal punishment often used by the association to keep the lifer class in line. As they've been experiencing for the past few weeks, sometimes condensation would collect around the abandoned components. The moisture wasn't much, but these days, some is far better than none. No such luck today. After quickly surveying the property, she entered the house to scavenge for any tools or objects that could be repurposed. As she pushed open the front door, she caught a glimpse of her faint reflection in the full wood paneling of the floorboards. Though accustomed to her parents, it still caught her off guard in those rare times in which she could give herself a moment to look at that reflection. Sometimes she thought about giving up the recycler's fugitive lifestyle and returning to her parents, but it was unbecoming socially and extremely dangerous politically for anyone of her parents' class to be seen in the company of a recycler, even if this recycler had long ago lost faith in the cause. Seeing as how it had been decades since she'd crossed that threshold, if that impossible wish was ever granted, she'd surely have been forced into accepting some kind of neurogenesis treatments, and at her age, she'd probably die of shock before her organic organs could adapt to the augmented components. She smiled to herself, thinking of how ironic it was that the pursuit of everlasting youth and impossible beauty standards that used to saturate every aspect of society, and once the objective had been achieved, it was society itself that so many like her longed to obtain. It was a much-needed moment of levity, but only a moment. It was time to get back to the business at hand. She moved slowly and deliberately through the absolute silence blanketing the empty space that used to be a living room. Nothing. Traipsing through the other rooms yielded identical results. Nothing. She made her way to the basement door and stood at the top of the stairs. They descended diligently into absolute darkness. Her goggles enhanced her vision in low-light environments, but they still required some amount of light, however minuscule, to allow the imaging processors to operate. Going blind, even for a short period of time, was extremely dangerous in any sector, especially a residential sector that had been abandoned and used somewhat illegally by lifers. But if she wasn't able to locate something to patch the main injectors in the recycler jump ship, she would be trapped in the suburb for another two or three weeks. Even with the safe haven, staying in one location for more than a couple of days was risky, and she'd already been here for nearly a week. Adding another 72 hours, would be more than just tempting to the so far uncharacteristically generous apathy of fate. She squeezed her rifle grip. She loved the feel of the leather beneath her palms. It steadied her nerves. With an apprehensive sigh, she activated the charge switch. Her rifle was rudimentary, pieced together over the course of a few months. A patchwork firearm held together by micro-rivets and black market nano-adhesive. It was always best to simply charge and carry, then be caught off guard facing enforcement officers. So she descended the steps quickly. Reaching the bottom, she noticed the floor was damp and soft. Raising her weapon expertly, she moved slowly, counting in her head and keeping her black flush against the drywall. She stepped around the entire perimeter of the room, 58 steps to circle back to the stairs. She calculated how many steps from one side to the other and took that first precarious step. Just as she reached the midpoint of the entire room, it was flooded with a piercing red light. Drop your weapon and surrender immediately. You are in violation of Ordinance 655. We are monitoring your bioscan. If you do not cooperate in the next three seconds, you will be destroyed. The automated voice boomed, reverberating through the walls. Sochi tightened her grip. She knew she was outnumbered, at least a dozen time over, but there was no way in hell she was going to go so quietly. Three seconds passed and the enforcement officers opened fire. The walls crumbled and were torn away like wet paper. The debris struck her body, but it didn't matter. She didn't blink as the enforcement patrol surrounded her. She didn't blink when they raised their weapons. But suddenly, the officers stopped shooting. 
The remaining chunks of debris crashed and tumbled down around her on all sides. Through the smoke, she can make out the silhouettes of enforcement officers who surrounded what was left of the building, floating about 12 feet above her. Gyroscopic levitation capabilities were integrated into their standard duty armor. So she gripped her rifle into game, but before she fired off the first few shots, she realized that the entire patrol wasn't focusing on her anymore. They were focusing on something, or rather, someone else. For chapter 8, we are jumping back in time a bit. Uh, the, the cool thing about teleportality is that, um, I, I don't know, it's kind of a mixed bag. We get the straight narrative, but it's also peppered with flashbacks and some other odd oddness because Billy, as we learned in the earlier chapters, a lot of Billy's memories don't really belong to Billy. They were kind of put there by Dr. Harvey to fill in gaps, and some of them are i think the the term was orphaned recollections which i love that expression um i don't know where i came up with that just like these orphan recollections where they don't really have context but it's like you know it makes sense for a book that's uh deals a lot with time travel to jump around in time a lot so this um you know chapter seven was sochi which is part of the normal straight narrative of the story even though it happens way before the other events that came earlier in the story uh this is chapter eight which is Kind of another flashback from billy so chapter eight neurogenesis subject billy dr aaron harvey had just completed the culmination of his life's work the cadaver on the table before him stirred and opened its eyes currently it was an empty shell by all external observations the creature was as human as any other person but this was not really the case now had the proper paperwork been filed or found it likely would have been sent to processing like all the rest, where its various components and organ systems would have been divided and distributed to association members according to their individual needs and financial standing. But that small clerical uh, error proved to be incredibly beneficial to Dr. Harvey. Had he not been able to prove that his full battery of treatments could in fact reanimate the long deceased, the funding would have been cut off almost immediately, and Dr. Harvey's legal classification would have been reduced back to resident. He'd worked far too long and too hard to ascend past the lowly residential status, and he likely would have killed himself, and many of those around him, to avoid going back. Dr. Harvey inspected the specimen as it silently stared at him while he went about his clinical due diligence. It possessed female characteristics. Actually, it was quite attractive. It had a soft jawline and pronounced bosom. Its eyes were pale blue with green flecks, high cheekbones, athletic muscle tone. Its hair had been dyed a dishwater blonde and cut into a sloppy, asymmetrical bob. The haircut was similar to the vintage style his wife used to sport. In fact, that's why Dr. Harvey was so perspicacious in working with this specimen. Having just lost his wife of 27 years just a short while back, he'd become obsessed with his neurogenesis program. The specimen's skin tone was a bit pale and drab, but the new epidermal layer Dr. Harvey planned to install should fix that and return its natural burnt honey tone. The brain was almost completely empty, merely serving as a rudimentary central operating unit to power the necessary biological systems but the downloading of his wife's memories should be fully integrated by the end of the week. It wasn't her, but if the memory and personality imprinting were as successful as the other neurogenesis treatments, it would be such a close facsimile that it really wouldn't matter. The cadaver sat up and tilted its head. The resemblance was uncanny. It was almost as if God had been so pleased with his work in the original that she decided to relaunch the model. 
Obviously, this wasn't the actual case, but the appearance was, in fact, near identical. The paperwork listed it as a Jane Doe. Based on the somewhat poor quality of the skin, teeth, and hair, Dr. Harvey deduced that it was likely a homeless runaway, or perhaps a narcotics addict that wound up the way nearly all homeless runaways and narcotics addicts wound up. The only aspect he couldn't account for was the muscle tone. The cadaver's external features were indicative of a brutal, survive-by-any-means lifestyle, but the internal components were in top shape. Perhaps it was one of those spoiled association debutantes who partied a little too hard on the weekends and then made up for it by spending the week pretending to be upstanding young members of the ruling caste. Whatever its origin, the newly sentient being before him was a rare specimen, and one that most certainly could be put to good use. The cadaver systems came online and it leapt from the table. Standing before Dr. Harvey, it was frightened and on guard, but decrepit and uneasy on its feet. It could barely balance its own weight. Steady now, Billy. Dr. Harvey raised his hands, attempting to calm the living corpse in front of him. Try to relax. I'm Dr. Aaron Harvey. Can you understand what I'm saying? The oral receptors in Billy's head processed the audio information coming out of Dr. Harvey's mouth in a handful of nanoseconds. From those few words, the language systems ran hundreds of comparative searches, accounting for inflection, tone, and delivery context. A few nanoseconds later, Billy was completely fluent in English. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, Billy replied. The voice was oddly hollow and emanating from the transmitter cells on the back of Billy's throat. The mouth and lip movements were automated, and admittedly just for show, but they were slightly out of sync with the speech patterns. Dr. Harvey made a mental note to tweak the synchronization protocols. Very good, Billy. Let's begin with some simple assessments of your functionality. Why do you keep calling me that? Billy asked with a flat expression. It wasn't confused, it simply had interpreted part of the received information and was trying to fill in the relevant, but missing, contextual data points. Hmm, excellent question, Dr. Harvey replied. Your systems are completely operational, so let's see if you can answer that for yourself. A few moments passed and Billy delivered an answer with clinical accuracy. Dr. Harvey's exuberant expression immediately melted into one of pained recollection. Based on your current expression, it is most likely that you have named me Billy to remember your deceased spouse. Billy was your pet name for Wilhelmina Romero Harvey. Wilhelmina was your spouse for nearly two decades until found dead of self-inflicted lacerations on the left and right cubital fossa, which severed the ulnar arteries and resulted in rapid exsanguination. The nature of death violated 17 of the primary association edicts, yielding an indefinite sentence. However, because of the conditions in which the remains were stored and transported, it was unable to be reanimated via neurogenesis procedures to serve the sentence. Wilhelmina Harvey was survived by a spouse, you, Aaron Harmonious Harvey, PhD. Is that correct? Yes, Dr. Harvey answered softly. That is correct. Billy's eyes went blank and then flashed briefly. The color drained from them and they became reflexive, reflective, dull, just a sheer sheet of gray. I have memories of Wilhelmina's life. No, 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 said Dr. Harvey quickly. You have a variety of volunteer submitted engrams. I use Wilhelmina's primary engrams as a framework, but deliberately selected a random assortment of other engrams to offset the main patterns. There must be an error in your recall functions. You may think you have Wilhelmina's memories, but it's really just a template with the gaps being filled in by a variety of sources. 
Well, that makes sense. Billy's conversation was fluid now. I remember marrying you, but I also remember a violent interaction with numerous officials being maimed and killed. There are definitely random assortments of other engrams. Well, that could be, Dr. Harvey scratched his head, staring into the dull gray eyes. Wait, I remember the boy as well. Dr. Harvey was stunned. Yes, he had in fact used a large amount of Wilhelmina's engrams, but he'd pulled most of them from the Department of Cessation's databases. He hadn't reviewed the trillions of engram elements, just the topical category titles. While he'd intended to give Billy just enough of Wilhelmina's personality and memories to serve as a pleasant facsimile, he hadn't realized that all the dark secrets had been retained. If Billy knew about the boy, then it stands to reason that other secrets were buried deep in her artificial synapses. If the association had record of the boy, who knew what else they were aware of? But perhaps this was a gift. Billy, we have much work to do. And trust me, I'll explain. But first, I must show you something. Please follow me. So that was chapter seven and eight of Teleportality. Uh, chapter seven introduced us to uh, Sochi Whitewood, who was a recycler from the past, the past that Billy, uh, the mysterious stranger and feral, or ragdoll, and feral that uh, they, they, they crashed on this planet in the past and Sochi is an inhabitant of that time that they may or may not encounter uh, and then chapter 8 which is somewhat both chapters are somewhat brief because they are just kind of like chapter 7 sets the tone chapter 8 is a flashback chapter 8 is a flashback to Billy uh, just moments after uh, being resurrected or reanimated by Dr. Harvey and Billy is kind of getting used to the new memories Dr. Harvey and Billy are interacting and now Dr. Harvey realizes that because of his hubris in implanting Billy with his deceased wife's memories that not only did she get the general personality traits and memories she also got a lot of Wilhelmina's secrets and that has given Dr. Harvey an idea that he may be able to leverage for his own benefit. Billy called him earlier in the book uh, ever the resourceful Dr. Frankenstein uh, and that is definitely the case here. Uh, and I also realize I can I can talk for a little bit more because unlike an audiobook where I need to kind of stick to the text and the copy of the content, uh, this is a podcast, so I can give you a little bit more, a little more bang for your buck. Although uh, you shouldn't be paying for this, I don't I don't think there's any charge on postal platforms. But I like the idea, and we're getting to the main thesis, but one of the uh, secondary thesis or themes of, of the book with teleportality is about dealing with loss and the lengths that someone would go to with that loss so it's not like grief per se but actual like loss where because grief there's this understanding there's a sort of recognition that something is no longer there whereas coping with loss and i'm sure there's a better word for it i'm not a mental health or psychiatric professional so i'm sure there is definitely a better uh there's better terms for it but uh with lo- i'm just gonna keep using loss because it's something i understand and if you're listening and you're not a mental health professional like like i'm also not you'll probably understand it in this plain language but with loss uh it's it's there's sort of a denial there's almost an obsession and maybe something that that can be done and in the context of this book because it is uh afrofuturistic spec fic um and somewhat dark and somewhat transhumanist Dr. Harvey 
is suffering from that from loss he he does think he can do something about it in fact he has done something about it he's created this crazy this miraculous amazing technological concept called neurogenesis where he can bring people back from the dead of course his wife unfortunately was in such a state as we just learned due to her severe lacerations and the storage of her corpse she couldn't he couldn't bring her back but he is now trying to do an next thing which is to reconstruct his dead wife in this cadaver billy um and, and what that means and i mean that by itself is kind of a selfish act and there is some philosophy i don't know where i lay on this because i kind of see the logic behind it but also part of me understands it too having just recently lost my own mother and dealt with grief and also dealt with certain feelings of loss of course um so i mean i wrote this book uh <laughs> way back in 2015 2016 or so and the book itself was the result of some stories that i had been writing and characters i've been developing since you know 2002 2003 so this is way before my own mom passed but i had experienced loss before and other things like it of course and i'm not sure i think this it's like how far would you go and at what point is it is it still a selfish act is grief itself that kind of grief when it's uh, when it's loss grief based on loss not grief based on grief again i realize i definitely need to learn some better terms um but if you're willing to go these stakes to bring it back at what point are you no longer trying to bring that person back to bring them back and more you're just trying to bring them back for you it it, it kind of lightly lightly leans towards doesn't really address or brush up against but just kind of leans towards the questions around uh euthanasia and those kinds of decisions like if someone wants out because they're in pain but you don't want them to does your desire to keep them does that infringe upon their own desire to no longer be here and then of course when we're not talking about euthanasia we're talking about somebody like uh, Wilhelmina in this in this case where she got out and she has these secrets and there's other things that are coming that will come to bear <laughs> as the book goes on without getting too far ahead of myself you know is, is Dr. Harvey a, a heroic figure probably not is Dr. Harvey a relatable figure? Well, I hope so. And, you know, as we get to know Dr. Harvey more and Billy, um, I think a lot of these questions will kind of pop up more. This is actually kind of fun. It's sort of like I go to a lot of conventions. And so I'm used to just rambling on about these kinds of heavy concepts tied to, you know, silly. I mean, this is a genre work. This is science fiction. This is Afrofuturism, spec fic, all the labels doesn't get a lot of respect compared to like you know contemporary literature it's not stuffy it's fun it's like crazy concepts and fantastical settings and you know weird tech and space travel and time travel and all that goofy stuff um but we can apply these heavier themes to it and that's what gives it weight and that's kind of why i love the medium um i think i've said this before many places but i can say it now that way it's on the record officially but i love spec fix particularly afrofuturism i love afrofuturism because you know I'm, I'm black and so it's a way to get those personal feelings and personal experiences into the genre spec fic that I love but the reason why i love spec fic as a whole because it allows us to take these fantastical settings and these crazy characters and these ideas and all that and use it as sort of like a, a, a lens or a mirror to reflect back on you know contemporary issues or past issues or just in this case interesting philosophical questions about the nature of things and so that was chapter seven and eight and the next episode we will continue moving on uh throughout my first novel teleportality 
So as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>